I'd like to thank everyone who's um, helped us worship today in the service. And also, I'd like to thank you as the congregation for allowing me to have this opportunity to preach. So as we uh, begin this morning, I'd like you to think with me, specifically about a calendar. The purpose of a calendar is to write our schedules and our plans in it so that we can plan out our days and also just to remember our plans. Maybe you do not use a calendar, but you use something else, like you write down notes or you use an app on your phone. Uh, Whatever you use, even if it's just storing your plans in your head, we all make plans. And we we do that so that we can uh, schedule out our days and also remember our plans. So these things all have the same purpose, to plan and then help us remember what we're doing. I'd like to ask you, what is your mindset about these plans? Are they definitely going to happen, or are they just plans? How often do you plan and write these things down, and they either don't happen when you think they will, or they don't happen how you want, or these plans just don't happen at all? What is your reaction? So I'd like you to think through these two questions as we begin this morning, and also as we reread our text Uh, Since it's a short text this morning, I thought we'd reread it just to refresh our minds and get a better picture of what God's Word truly says. So, if you look back with me at verse 13, we will begin there and read to verse 17. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes." Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So we're going to use this text today to see um, what God has for us uh, to learn from his scriptures this morning. So the first thing I'd like you to see from this text is that life involves plans. And again, this comes from verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, speaking of a specific day. It then says, We will go to such and such a town, speaking of a specific place, and spend a year there, speaking of a specific time frame, and trade a specific action, and make a profit, a specific end result. So that's what verse 13 says with my uh, add-ins. But in a In this sense, James uses the example of a businessman, but I believe that it can relate right back to us in our daily lives. For example, an example of this, uh, this, the example that James uses, an example for today, say your family's going on vacation. You say you're going to go to the beach. Your plans are that we're going to leave exactly tomorrow, and it will only take us four hours to get there. We will stay there for seven days, And we are going to go swimming, eat funnel cakes on the boardwalk, and we will go mini-golfing. We're going to have so much fun. So that's your plan for vacation. Or say another example. Someone says, I'm going to play baseball for this whole year or for this whole season. I'm going to make it through the whole season, and I'm going to hit 15 home runs, and our team will win the championship. Or a last example to help you understand what James is trying to get across, say uh, we have a businessman in our, our time period. He says, my company is going to sell our product this whole month, and we will easily get our goal amount, and we will be the top product on the market. Does this sound familiar? Do you make plans that are so exact 
that it seems as if you are in control of your life. Do you ever say, nothing will stop me, this will happen, or nothing will get in my way, my plans will happen? How often do you make plans like, uh, for example, we will get married in a year, have kids in two years, and work till we're 60? Or maybe you say, I'm going to do this or that for my job, or I'm going to college for four years, and right when I get out of college, I will get a job. So you may think uh, with me about this and say, no, I don't make plans like that. I don't make plans so exact, but really think with me. When I think about my own life, I think about a simple example, but say I'm planning uh, to play basketball with my friends. Say either the weather is bad or we don't have enough people to play. I get so upset uh, because I didn't get what I planned. So with all those examples, hopefully you get it. We make plans, and often they seem as if we are planning so exact that we are in control. So looking back at the text, we see that life involves making plans. That's our first observation. But James goes on. He brings us back to reality with three points concerning making our plans, resting in our own self-confidence. So the first reality that James brings to us is found in verse 14. Uh, the point is, life's events are unpredictable. And we can see that, as I said, from verse 14. And I'll read that section for us again. It says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James basically says, How do you know your plans will happen? Can you tell the future? James says, Do you really know what will even happen tomorrow? I believe he takes this from Proverbs 27.1, or maybe this was just a reference uh, for this thought, but Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. So James is saying, you're planning a whole year in ahead, and yet you don't even know what will happen 24 hours from now. So let's take the first example I gave on the vacation. So think about the above, above examples, the vacation one. You say, my family, are, my family and I are going on vacation to the beach. We're going to leave exactly tomorrow, and it will take us four years. But what happens if your car won't start? Instead of going on vacation, you have to spend, your car has to spend the week in the shop, and you can't go, on, go to the beach anymore. Or say you do make it on the road, but your car breaks down and you get a flat tire. Well, that four, exact four hours will lengthen quite a bit. Or say, okay, you make it to the beach, but you get to the beach and there's been sightings of sharks, so uh, the beach is closed, you won't be going swimming as you had planned it. Or to get even more extreme, say the whole boardwalk burnt down, you won't be getting your funnel cakes and uh, playing mini golf. So you said your end result would be you're going to have fun. Well, that beach trip does not sound like too much fun. So as I said, that was quite a drastic example, but did you catch the point that James is making? You do not know what will happen even tomorrow. So you do not know the future. So why do you boast of your plans as if you're in control of them? So we get from this simple point that since we do not know what will happen tomorrow, we don't know the future, and we don't even know what will happen a minute from now, we are not in control of our lives. So the second reality that James brings to us is also found in verse 14. I'll again read verse 14, this section of it. He says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So the reality that James brings to us is that life is short and ends unexpectedly. James continues by showing that life is short. 
James questions, what is life? And then he uses the illustration of mist or vapor. So what James means by this example of mist, that life is like mist, think about a summer morning. When you wake up, you look out your window and you can barely see anything because of the whitish gray mist or fog. Next thing you know, when you walk out your door just an hour later, the sun is shining and no more mist. This mist is completely gone. You don't know where it went. So is life. Life is brief and its end is unexpected. You do not know when it will go, just like you do not know when the mist will go. So James is basically saying, how do you make all these plans and are so sure of them when you could be gone tomorrow? You don't have to turn there, but I'd like to just look at an example of this that Jesus makes in a parable in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. I'll just read that. You can either turn to it or just follow along as I read. But Luke 12, 16 through 21, see if you can catch this point um, that James is making, but also Jesus makes here. The parable says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up. For many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this is an example of our text in James. This man planned and stored his materials and thought he would relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This was his plan. Not only does this man have his priorities out of line, he's focused on riches, but he thinks he is in control of his life. He had no clue he would die without doing what he planned. So we see life is short from this point. So simply, we see that James is making the point, uh, we can see from this, that we do not know how long we will live, so we are not in control of our lives. And lastly, thirdly, a reality that James points out to us is a short one, but we see this in verse 16. Verse 16 says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So doing such a thing, planning so exact, uh, relying in your own self-confidence and believing you're in control of your life, uh, is boasting in your arrogance, which means to boast in your pride or reliance on yourself. You're thinking of yourself highly and above all things. We see this as sin, As James says, all such boasting is evil. Why is it sin? We'll answer this very soon with our text. But before we do that, let's just review what we've kind of went over so far. If what James has said is true, then why do we constantly act as if we are in control? So we've seen to review. We plan things so set in stone and leave no room for change. When our plans do not happen as we want, we become angry and upset. We act as if we are above all things, and if our plans do not happen, then someone messed something up. We do not know what will happen in the future. We do not even know when our last day will be. And this way of thinking is sin. This is what we've seen from these exact plans relying on ourselves. So all of this is to show we are not in control. So who is? Is anyone? Yes, certainly someone is, and our passage tells us who this is. In verse 15, it says, 
if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Meaning if God allows, if God purposes, or if God plans, then we will be able to live and do what we plan. All things revolve around what God wills. So we see we're not in control, but God is. So this is the alternative of of relying on our own self-confidence and sufficiency for things to happen or thinking we are in control. So we see, as I've already said, God is in control and we are not. Again, to repeat verse 15, it says, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James is saying to say this. But what I'd like to propose to you is that we're not only, only to say this, maybe just as uh, lip talk to mask our own, our own inten- intentions for our plans, but this is to be, first off, a heart attitude. Surely it is great to say this phrase, but it first must be rooted in our hearts, in our attitudes. So this is to be a constant mindset in all we do, that God is in control and we are not. It is great to say it, but and to remind others of it, but it must come from our heart first. We must truly think it and believe it. So, for example, a way we could say this in our daily life. We may say, if the Lord wills, we will go to the store tomorrow and buy what we need for the picnic. Or you may say, I will bring my, home pay- my paycheck home tomorrow, Lord willing. So from these two examples, you see that you would be technically saying, I will bring my paycheck home tomorrow, if God allows me to. But maybe he may cause something else to happen. I may get fired, or maybe my business will get shut down. So we have to realize that God is in control and our plans may not happen. So to answer the question that I had before, why is it sin to rely on ourselves for our plans? We can see that if you think you're in control, you're ignoring God, not giving him authority in your life, not recognizing that he's in control. So we're completely ignoring God when we make our own plans and do not think about what God has planned. So to sum up this point, that if the Lord wills, as Christians, we must realize our plans are under God's overruling. Our plans may not pan out or they may not happen how we expect. In turn, we are to be okay with this because we realize God is in control. He's sovereign. God knows all things in the future and determines how long we live. So in simple terms, in simple what we should do, we need to commit our plans to God. As I said in the beginning, how often do you make plans that you assume or definitely want to happen? If they don't happen, you are furious and frustrated because your plans didn't come into fruition. Have you thought of this? Maybe God had other plans. So I'd like to give a personal example. I've shared this I remember before with my senior high Sunday school class, but I think it really um, gives to light what James is trying to talk about. So in my junior year of high school, um, I obtained a back injury from running track. Praise God that this injury is not life-lasting. I do not have effects from it now, but it uh, did not allow me to compete the whole season in track. I had pain when I ran, so halfway through the season, I did end up stopping to rest. I had to stop running, and I rested my back. But the, inter- the interesting part about this uh, example or this story is that before the season, I was saying different things like this. I'm going to make it to states this year, or I'm going to run this time or that time, or I'm going to get this place in this event. So it's interesting. I was acting as if I was in control, 
I could not stop this injury from happening. I didn't even know this injury would happen. So God, I learned from this that God was in control, and he allowed this to happen for his plans and his purposes. Even though I acted and probably sounded as if I was in control, as I look back on this injury, now I see how many great things came from it. God is in control, and that is for the best. So just to review what James is saying here, we first off see that man plans, but God is over all these plans as he is over all things. Planning is not sinful for man to do. In a sense, it is a good thing to be prepared. We are to plan. But without keeping the Lord's will in mind, that is what is sin. So this is the theme of what James is teaching us. God is in control and we are not. We are not to make plans without realizing that God could change them or revamp them. We are to submit to his will and depend on him. Life is short and we do not know when ours will be over. Life is unpredictable and we do not know what will happen next. So do not make plans without realizing God is in control. So to make this uh, point even stronger, to show what James is really talking about here, I'd like to look at two examples, a negative example from the scriptures and a positive example of looking at the Lord's will or trusting in the Lord's will. So the first one is Jonah. If you could turn to the book of Jonah with me, I'd like to just show a few points from this. We'll spend just a short time in the book of Jonah to see how Jonah is a negative example of resting Uh, on God, believing that he is in control. So I'm going to jump around just a few times in Jonah and quote a few verses. But the first one, if you want to look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 with me, I'll read that and then show us what we can learn from the example of Jonah. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid that the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So what we see from verses 1 through 3 is that Jonah made plans disobeying God directly. So obviously, he was thinking he was in control. He wanted nothing to do with going to Nineveh, so he went on his way to Tarshish. So we see here that Jonah believes he's in control. His plans are going to happen. But if you look with me at verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Also in verse 17, if you Skip a few verses ahead. Verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And lastly, look with me at chapter 2, verse 10. It says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So we see from these three verses that God truly is in control. We see how he was in the inner workings of this story. So, Jonah ends up going to Nineveh, as we see later on in chapter 3. We see God was in control, and Jonah truly was not. Jonah made plans without dependence on God, and did not acknowledge God's control. So that's our negative example. We should not be like Jonah in that sense of believing we are in control. 
and not trusting God is in control. But you don't have to turn to these passages with me, but I'd like you to think of the Apostle Paul. There's four passages that really show how he rested upon the Lord's will, or he believed God was in control. So if you just listen up as I read these scriptures. The first one is Romans chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Secondly, Romans 15.32 says, So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Thirdly, 1 Corinthians 4.19 says, But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 16.7. It says, For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. So, this again was an example of Paul. This was what Paul said in each of these four verses. But we see that Paul realizes and depends upon the only way for him to come to the churches is if God allows, since God controls. He can plan and desire all he wants, but he sees only God can ultimately allow it to happen. So along these points, what we've seen in James, we've kind of touched on a lot of application, but I'd like to bring it all home and summarize it into several points of application. So what is our response to be to this truth that God is in control and we are not? The first, as the passage says, to say if the Lord wills. Remember, this surely is great, a great thing to say in your conversations if the Lord wills, but I'd like to challenge you even further and make sure that this truth truly is real, that it's a heart attitude, not just coming from your lips. It must come from a sincere heart which believes truly God is in control. So this truth is to be a constant mindset in which we go throughout life with. Secondly, how can we apply this? We can apply this as the passage already shows. Do not make plans without acknowledging that you are not in control, but God is. Commit your plans to him, realizing he might change them or completely might wipe them out. Along with this point, I'd like you to look back at verse 17. So if, you're, if you've turned away from James, just turn back there. And the last verse that we will look at is James chapter 4, verse 17. And James chapter 4, verse 17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So we see James is trying to really bring this home. I think that this verse could be after almost every command that God gives us, that we truly are supposed to do this. And if we don't do it, it is sin. And I believe that James specifically puts this verse here because he wants us to see that we need to realize that the believer must live their life knowing God's in control. I think it affects a lot of things. If you don't believe God's in control and you're resting on yourself, you're not going to want to do the Lord's commands as we saw Jonah didn't want to. So I believe that's why uh, James put verse 17 in there. Um, he, as I said, this could be after all of his verses as he commands us what God tells us to do. But I think verse 17 really applies to this passage. But as we go on, as we see, we need to commit our plans to God. A few examples of this, even from the life of our church. As you know, we've planned the family fun day this past May. As we have heard a bunch of times, that was just a plan. We prepared, and people put a lot of effort into it. 
But as a whole, we saw that we were not in control of allowing it to happen. If we would have been in control, it would have happened. We wanted that event to happen. Uh, We would have caused it not to rain if we were in control. But God was in control, and he allowed it to rain for his will to be accomplished. I think of Pastor Reed also explaining the plans for the future of our church. He stressed very, very much that it is only a plan, not something set in stone, because ultimately only God can set in stone something. But think of your own life. When you mark something on your calendar, will you be furious and frustrated if it does not happen? Sure, you may be disappointed, but are you frustrated to the point that you believe someone foiled your set plans? So simply, the second application can be summed up as commit your plans to God, realize he is the one who allows your plans to happen or not to happen. A third application that I'd like to point out is making plans without God in mind. As we saw in, the, in verse 13, this is what the person was doing. Making plans without God in mind, this is how the unbeliever lives. They give no authority to God, no control of their life to God. They think they're in control, or something like nature is in control. If we live in a way that rests upon our own confidence to fulfill our plans, rather than realizing that God is over our plans, then we are living just like one who does not know God. A fourth application, we can see this can apply to our own prayers. We must not demand things from God, but we must ask him to grant us this if he allows, if he plans for that to happen. And the last application I'd like to point out and how I'm going to form this is actually taken from uh, how John Piper has said it in some of the doctrines he has explained. But this truth of God's control should not threaten us but it should thrill us. And those two words, threaten and thrill, are from John Piper, but he doesn't exactly apply it to this uh, passage specifically. But as I said before, this truth of God's control should either threaten us or thrill us. And what I mean by this is, first off, I say threaten. This truth of God's control could either threaten you uh, because some who do not want to give God the control or the authority he deserves in their life would be upset that they cannot feel in control. They feel threatened by this. They want charge of their lives. They want to be able to do without it be, they want to do their plans without being hindered. But they do not realize that what they want to do may not happen. So you could either be threatened by this doctrine or you could be thrilled by it. What I mean by thrilled is you would much rather God be in control and allowing and stopping things from happening because he is the one who can see the future, who is in control of sustaining creating and ending all life rather than yourself, who is weak, finite, limited, and sinful. So as we look at this passage of James, as we look at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, I believe that in all we plan and do constantly, we must have the mindset that God is in control and we are not. Don't make plans without God in mind. So next time as you look at your calendar, as we thought about in the beginning, or write down a plan, have the mindset, and truly believe this plan will happen if the Lord wills. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, I just thank you for the time that you've allowed us to look into your word today, just to see what it says and uh, see what you've commanded us to do. I pray that this, this word that you've shared with us this morning, um, your word in general, Lord, that you've given to us, I pray that we would not just read it, um, 
or even just think about it, but I pray that we truly would apply it to our lives. I pray that we would try and do what your word says and obey it. Lord, I just pray that we would not try and uh, do your word um, because we think that it will cause salvation. But Lord, I pray that we would do it um, out of obedience and love for you, Jesus Christ. I thank you for allowing us uh, to be saved, for providing the way of salvation. Lord, you truly are in control, in control of all things, Lord. You're in control of our plans. You're in control of what we do and even um, how long we live. Lord, I pray that we would trust in you, that we would rely on you and depend on you. So when we go to make plans, we would say, if the Lord wills, and truly have this mindset throughout all of our lives. I just pray that as we go into our days today that we would truly live out your word and truly do your word. I thank you again for this time that we got to meet and as we got to look at the scriptures. And in your name I pray, amen.